Welcome to the Special Strength Fitness Podcast, where we break down the psychology, fitness, and nutrition strategies you need to know to successfully transform your life. In today's episode, I get to sit down with boxing coach extraordinaire Noel Club. I've been waiting to record with him for a long time, and we finally got our schedules aligned a few weeks ago, and we record this episode. And as you guys will hear, it's one of the best episodes to date. We get into so many different topics, and I cannot wait for you to uncover all the little gems that are in there. So without further ado, let's get started. All right, we are here with our very special guest today, Noel Club. Everybody, uh, I've had the privilege of working with Noel uh, as an athlete, and I've had the amazing privilege of working with him not just in one gym, but two. So I've seen him, you know, in action for a very long time. I'm super excited to talk to him today. Welcome to the podcast, Noel. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it very much. Thanks for having me. Awesome. I always ask my guests this question because the listeners may or may not know you. So I always ask them. How did you get into, you know, athletics, sports, physical activities? What's your earliest start point and memory? And how did that go from where it started to where you are today? Well, good question. I'd actually say it's probably the perfect accident because uh, it was not a plan whatsoever. <laughs> I'd actually share with you, I was actually involved with more uh, music. I was music. more of a drummer. My parents were both musicians. My mom was a very, very um, accomplished piano player. My dad was a professional drummer. And my dad supported the family uh, for many first first seven years of my life uh, as a drummer. And uh, so I grew up with music in the household. So I became obviously a musician because of that uh, wow. through osmosis. And uh, so years went on. Uh, my dad made a kind of a career shift where he wanted to go into um, basically doing like arts, entertainment, management. And uh, so I managed a couple of bands, a couple of, uh, I managed a wrestling group, basically a professional wrestling troupe that travels as does shows in small towns, small communities. And uh, basically through that, I went to a gym with my dad. As a, you know, basically, he's a, he's a young promoter. And right. I went to, into a gym to watch the guys get ready for those first few shows we're doing together. Get a feel and sense, meet the people, uh, meet the wrestlers, and uh, kind of get more, more, get more of an insight as to what's going on. And as I'm there in the gym, is my dad's watching these guys do the thing for the very first time for one of their very first shows together. I'm watching a boxer and a coach in the far corner of the gym doing hand pads. And I was just mesmerized by it for a good, I was thinking like, like 25 minutes, 30 minutes. And uh, the coach called me over after the guy was done. Said, hey, do you want to try some hand pads and uh, learn some boxing skills? So actually, that's what I did. I learned how to do a jab across, uppercut hook within like 30 minutes. And, um, and I actually found in love with it. But the first thing that really hit me, first of all, was, again, the music with the sport connection was, the rhythm, I was hearing the rhythms of bop, 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 bop. Okay, I know that. That's just that's basic drumming material. Right. Uh, basically. So that's kind of my, my first connection with the sport. How old were you uh, then at that time? So also because my dad, really. How old were you at that time? Oh, basically, I was, uh, I'd be what, 12? What, 12 years old? Wow. That's a very young, early start. Yeah, it was. It was. <laughs> But that whole year, I was like, it was probably 1986, 85, around there. Uh, it was like a big shift. Uh, my dad was kind of leaving this, the mall, a brand new mall industry that was kind of high. It was, was malls was building uh, everywhere across uh, the country. And my dad's part of uh, managing malls. But he took me a shift from that, that industry into um, becoming basically becoming a manager. He became a manager for wrestlers and boxers as time went on. And that's the guy's first start was doing a couple of wrestling, small-time wrestling shows. And that's why I met, came to the gym and met these boxing's coach when uh when i was so young so yeah that's kind of the connection that kind of gets the whole thing started off wow and, and was it love at first sight with boxing like once you got into it 
it took it took the first half hour to realize okay i think i love this i think i, I think i like this <laughs> i think we can do well with it and that's kind of where it all kind of started for me yeah so, so okay so you start boxing and, and you're training you know throughout the younger years when do you decide you know i want to compete because it because that's always a natural progression for someone who falls in love with that sport they want to compete at I some point from, yeah fighting never really quite hit me really that quickly i remember when i was doing the, the hand pad thing to the really when things got more serious it's all because of the coaches the coaches you have around you they're being supportive like you know, hey like you know you got some talent let's see you uh spar more often let's see you um do a little more work with you come to the gym more often kind of thing and kind of gives you more of that kind of like come on in more often and want to see here more mm-hmm. often because we think you got some some ability that's kind of where it all started from just coaches being in your ear okay i think we you think we got you got some some talent there you got some skill there uh to pursue um become, become a competitive boxer let's see how you do and that's kind of where it all kind of started from just coaches around me just talking Amazing. in my ear like hey you should do something they put the worm in your ear and that's it yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I've been there too. Uh, so, okay, how was your experience as an athlete? Uh, it was actually, for me, it was, it was actually very good. I had, I was pretty lucky. I, I had a couple of bad coaches along the way, but yeah. for the most part, I had great coaches. And those ones stuck the longest. Um, I guess really to give you an uh, example, I had uh, through Cabbage Town, when I had my first gym. So years later, we had my first gym, uh, Cabbage Town, basically, um, had Nedry Simmons and they put it, gave him, and he was actually a very accomplished uh, professional fighter. He had a great amateur career of 200 fights, at least 200 fights as amateur. My God, wow. Professional fights, um, a multi-champion, uh, world-class fighter. And he was out of Toronto, Ontario. And yeah. so he was really the last coach I had, who's probably the most inspirational coach I ever had in my whole life. Yet it was not because he had, he had, it wasn't because like he had all the facets of being a good coach. It's just the fact that what he was so good at was being a technician. Mm-hmm. And he's because he's so he was so experienced. He'd been around the world, literally sparred the best guys in the world and fought some really tough guys around the world. And um, so when I when I really got to meet him towards the end of my, my little opportunity boxing, I just um, thought, you know, I want to be like that. I want to be like that, basically, because um, he, he's just so knowledgeable. He's just I can ask him any question on technique and he can give me an answer within seconds and to be like the be just an incredibly rational, logical answer that makes sense to what you're trying to accomplish, what you're trying to do. So he was pretty inspirational for me. Throughout the time that I've been involved in combat sports as an athlete uh, or as a coach, most of the great boxing coaches that I've come across all have a history or a tie into Cabbage Town. That gym is pretty some amazing coaches. Yeah, Yeah. like that's the one place I keep hearing about. At least there wasn't like an era where there was this huge production of athletes and coaches that just they were top quality and that's all homegrown in toronto very well put yeah atlas and cabbage town really were the, the driving forces um especially because they're based out, out of ontario and being in toronto but those two were the driving forces i always always felt and cabbage town was like a little more unique because they were around a little bit longer they were obviously longer and they had the professional um the pro fighters plus really good amateur fighters uh in and out of the gym all the time so yeah, I mean, they, plus they had great coaches. They always had at least four or five coaches on staff. And Ned Simmons, who was my coach, who was also mm-hmm. working at Cabbage Town, comes he's going to come to Hamilton for years, training me twice a week. And that wow. went on for years. And uh, I became a sparring partner uh, just towards the end of his career. Um, but yeah, it was, it was very special. I, I, I was instantly connected with Ned Simmons when, as soon as I met him. And then as we worked together, it's like, oh, like, this is like a great synergy uh, that we had together. 
again, wanna... Capstone connection. And uh, Peter Wiley was was a, was a, mm-hmm. was a father figure for me uh, out of Cabbage Town. He's the owner of, of Cabbage Town. Right. He was a father figure for me on off again for years. Um, later part of my boxing career, and then uh, definitely as a young coach in the club, he just he's just always so supportive. <laughs> and so is Adrian at Atlas, uh, another supportive, another pillar of my life. Had Peter Wiley, Cabbage Town, and I had Adrian at Atlas to kind of be around too. Again, like a father figure. I didn't see him all the time, but this when I did every run into those two, they we just somehow we started talking and we started having great dialogues, great conversations. And the next thing you know, like these these people actually, you know, they actually see me, they support on who I, what I'm doing, and yeah, it's just it's just uh, Cabbage Town really has been for me very special, especially and, and with Wiley and uh, Nedry Simmons. I want to dig into the the coaches a little bit because you said something that's so important. Uh, that you know, there were some bad coaches along the way, and there were some great ones. What separated the great ones from the not so great ones for you? Good question. Um, it's actually a few things. Um, in, uh, first thing is actually their own ability as human beings to be honest with themselves. For me as a coach, I realized I learned that too through them. <laughs> through them being a bad coach, you actually learn. Right. Okay, I don't want to be like that, but why is that? And that's and that's a good point. Like, why is that? And what makes a good coach a better coach? It's first for me, I think, is, is a self-awareness, is being aware of, okay, if I put somebody, if I'm asking for somebody to do something, it can, am I asking something they cannot do? Am I asking something that, that I cannot do and expect more of them? So it's, it's, to me, it's the point of being honest with yourself. That's the first thing I have to say. It is a, it's a pretty valuable key. Uh, it allows you to be more objective. So you're more honest. More objective with your athlete as far as uh, where they're at, where they're going, what we need to do to move you forward to the next step. Sometimes, you know, I I had an athlete, but um, we went to Olympic trials back in this last December of of 2019, mm-hmm. and uh, I was with him for three years. And I took this kid, um, great kid, fantastic kid, loved the kid very very much, but he's changed over the course of three years that we were together, and just where he's became super nice kid and became. So uh, um, I have to say, really, I have to say insecure and also kind of fearful of what he's going through because he's climbing a ladder right. in boxing. And I was just kind of watching his, his anxieties escalate and escalate. It's getting back to your point. I, I was just trying to basically be honest with him. Like, you know, we have to see basically see a sports psychologist here now. I think we have some other things we have to address. It's, it's, not, just, it's not just for your sport. It's also for your mental health. It's also for you becoming a better person. And that's kind of ultimately what we're trying to do here, ultimately, when you do the sport, become a better person. And honesty and being objective with yourself is definitely one of the first key points. That I, I, appreciate, I appreciate that so much because, you know, when I started this podcast, I had three principles that I said I'd be guiding it with. One, obviously, is physical training, right? Yeah. Providing as much honest information out there as I can and and helping people realize it's really not that complicated, right? It comes down to fundamentals. Nutrition, same thing. There's so much misinformation out there that I want to make sure the fundamentals that make the actual difference are being discussed and spread. And the third, which I think is probably the most important, is the psychology. Nobody ever talks about psychology. That's actually bigger. I think the whole pandemic, it kind of exploited that even more so with people in general. Mm -hmm. And uh, for myself as a coach, I I made this comment a few times to different people over the last few years, is uh, performance anxiety issues through most athletes is way more higher than it's ever been before. So now as a coach, as this is a basic toolkit, you got to have some form of psychology uh, going on, whether you're taking psychology courses 
or educating yourself about psychology. You know, you got to really, as a coach, you have to have that now in your toolbox because otherwise you're going to have a tough time moving forward as a coach because it's part of the reality of now of athlete. Well, yeah. on that note, let me ask you something because uh, I find this fascinating. See, I follow the sport of MMA quite, quite, uh, quite, quite a you know, I don't miss a fight. Let's put it that way. I'm not a <laughs> fanatic, but I watch it because it's amazing to me, the kind of dedication and, and the psychology of each athlete. And you can see how it makes or breaks them in certain fights. And one of the things I found so fascinating recently was uh, you've got some champions now at the top of their sport, of their categories, and they're not sparring as much. And they're saying that they're coming out of it healthier. And I wonder if I could pick your brain about how do you think that benefits them? Because their performances are getting better and better and better. You talking about uh, sparring? Like, yeah, like like they're saying it? when they don't spar, uh, they're just coming into it obviously physically fresher, less injuries, but also something different about their mindset. They just seem to jump in performance. And I wonder if you could speak on that, if you've ever seen that before. Yeah, actually, that goes on with the national teams. Uh, but we we spar, but it's a mm -hmm. different approach. So we actually we do we do some changes. What you see around the world is when they spar, especially watching Cuba and Brazil. And this is what I kind of copied myself the last few years. Um, just being out, having the opportunity of being part of the High Points Ontario team, which has a connection with Team Canada, mm -hmm. kind of travel different events. Uh, thankfully, through those folks, so you can be exposed to these groups. So we go these different national teams. I was watching, observing, especially with Cuba, Brazil is when it's sparring, it's not like North American sparring, which is traditionally more power-based, which we realize now through studies and, and, and basically research, it doesn't work. <laughs> right. Because, you know, you get hurt, you get injuries, you got to recover, you got to recuperate, all those things. Um, it's hard on your body. It doesn't really allow you to really excel. So we, we discovered was uh, watching through Brazil and Cuba and other countries is if you apply sometimes, mostly I should say, is you do technical sparring, laying off the power and even slowing things down to like the really slow, you know, tempo. So it really kind of helps modify and really understand mechanically feel, you know, uh, of course, hand-eye coordination, all those things all combined, what's going on rather than just reacting, reacting, reacting. It's helping you now analyze, stop and analyze it, process it, you know, feel the right perfect movement. So you're, you're also working towards perfect practice more and more and more. So it's doing a lot of things at once. And uh, therefore, also by doing that, you become sharper technically, you're safer and you're preserving yourself physically more and more and more. But you got to spar, but it, can't, it doesn't have to be hard. That's kind of what we discovered. Some people say you know, have a couple of hard sparring sessions. And right. Okay, I agree with that. But what we, discovered, what we discovered was we kind of learned over time was, it, you know, you don't have to have hard sparring that much. You really don't. And uh, the lighter contact sparring, slowed, slowed down sparring is way more effective because of those, those points. Plus, say, you can have a longer career now because you're not getting hurt, you're not getting banged up in those, those training camps, uh, which and, happens sometimes. And I remember when I used to train in your classes, that was towards the end of sort of my, I would say, combat sports experience because uh, I just started running out of time with family and life kind of going on. But yeah. uh, you know, I was fortunate that I was able to catch you for a second time towards the end of that. And I remember your approach in teaching class was exactly this. And I'm like, man, like I haven't, I've seen many coaches do it their way and every, not that anyone's wrong or anything, but your approach was so fresh. It was different because I was able to understand the mechanics better, slow it down yeah, and really start yeah. put put it together. And it was just it wasn't just me. Everybody walked out of your class. And I remember we would talk about it afterwards. And we're like, there's something different about the way you taught. We couldn't put a you know, finger on it, but there was something different. And it yep. helped. We made progress. Yeah. 
Well, that's the thing. Like building your point is I, and a lot of friends have told me this over the years, and actually, I totally agree with it. So they'll say it's like, no, like you're not a coach. You're actually a teacher. And uh, so, so many, so many, it's just such a rare number of teachers out there in the sport. And uh, I just really thank my, my mom, my grandmother, because they're teachers. And yeah. I think they kind of embedded something to me, kind of, I don't know, through blood or <laughs> whatever that is, DNA. <laughs> that uh, I have this natural, I have like a, for me, the gravitate to teaching is not a hard thing to do. So, yeah. So that's the kind of thing I kind of view myself. I would try to, want, I really want to leave a room, leave a class, a session knowing that you guys improve at least 1%, just knowing that, not just saying that, yeah, reducing that. And then I can say, okay, yeah, yeah, we made some progress. It was the strangest thing because it wasn't the typical boxing like style <laughs> coaching that we're used to. So right, right. we're like, wait, is this really going to work? And then when it Don't works, you're like, how? Don't kill him. Right. right. We're yeah. like, how did that work? When it worked, we're like, wait, how did that work? We can see it work, <laughs> but we just don't know how. That's amazing. I, I want to um, ask you, you know, speaking of teaching, you are now coaching, I believe, the national team, part of the coaching staff. There. Actually, I work with them. So I'm not I'm not the coach. I have okay. worked with them and I'm working with high performance team before as well. But the uh, pandemic and the COVID, of course, else, yeah. It's, it's just changed whole plans. Because originally we were going to go to Aruba, which is mm -hmm. a year ago, um, top of March. And then we had plans of going to uh, Cuba later on for June. And this, there were all these things we, had, we were working out discussing that just unfortunately just never materialized. And, before so the pandemic, are. before the pandemic, what were you doing with these high-level athletes? What kind of work were you doing with them? Well, then, so just to step back, I was I was a coaching full-time coach, mm -hmm. and now I'm not. <laughs> so oh, going back to your question, so I was, I was coaching full-time, and I had uh, I had a small roster, never a very big roster, but so uh, with Thai Performance Ontario, which has a connection with Team Canada, right? We basically assembled a B squad. So we had A squads, your champions, all the guys that everyone, all the males, females that won gold medals, the previous uh, provincials and went on, or previous nationals, I should say, previous nationals and went on. Those folks are the A squad. Anybody who's like we see has been kind of like this this talent we see kind of floating around. They're not they're not champion currently, but they have the, the ability, they have the opportunity, they have potential to become the next champion. We give those guys more opportunity as much as we could. So whenever like a, for example, Cuba would call us or I would call mm -hmm. us for a for a tournament or for an event and say, we'll come, we'll come to Toronto or you come here. Great, we'll just do it. So we assemble a team of people we thought were, we called the B squad. So Team Canada and the Ontario squad, we basically had a few couple of my guys on the squad. Mm -hmm. And then they picked off a few more uh, just before for Aruba, uh, just before the pandemic kicked in. So Absolutely, <laughs> the pandemic. Point, my small roster is all inherited by Team Ontario and Team Canada on their the squads. <laughs> uh, this pandemic has been really tough. And um, speaking of the pandemic, obviously it's affected a lot of businesses especially yes. in the health and fitness sector. But now that we're talking about vaccines and eventually opening up, a lot of people uh, pre-pandemic were using boxing classes like at, you know, nine round fitness, et cetera, et cetera, all these little boxing-based fitness classes for recreational fitness, right? What are your thoughts on that? Like recreational boxing as, mm -hmm. as a fitness tool uh, versus like boxing for the skill and learning a skill, even if you don't compete. What are your thoughts on that? Oh, to me, as a gym owner, it'd be mm -hmm. absolutely essential. Um, you know, as a coach of a gym, that's absolutely essential because ultimately what people don't understand, which actually is good to raise this point because it's good for your audience to understand is, you know, as a coach in a fight gym, and I'm sure you can preach this as well, um, as a fight coach, those, those, that small percent of people that actually fight for you could be the 5%, whatever that small percentage yeah. is. You're taking most of your time 
but do you make a lot of money from them as, as a business, you know, as a, as a coach? Well, the answer is obviously no. Um, so the people that are actually for there for recreational, you know, keep the lights on, you know, they pay the staff, keep the place clean, pays the coaches, you know. Yeah. So those people are very, very important, very, very essential for the for the business and also for the culture because what I learned in my experience is people that are recreational or folks that uh, compete, there's a really great kind of connection there. And uh, they both actually need one another. Yep. That's, that's that's the honesty in the club because you're in a gang and it's a very unique gang because it's that, that gang from Cabbage Town Gang, Atlas Gang, you know, that's right. Pound Pound Gang, Warriors Gang, you know, that's yeah. kind, of, kind of thing. So you have your little troops, right? For per gang. So that sets the culture, but people need that connection. And so when you have that, that, that gym that has the pro fighters, the amateur fighters with recreational folks, this makes for a really cool vibe because you have the guys that want to be like that, you know, and the other guys that kind of appreciate they have a family and, you know, they can, they can do the certain things they want to do too. Because fighting is a lot of sacrifice. That's the, that's the thing. Yeah, you know, definitely. It's not, it's not an easy job whatsoever. It's a very, very hard job. So, but being a gym with that connection with the recreational folks and the, and the competitors is, um, that's a really great and also a really fantastic relationship that happens there. Uh, so what's your advice to somebody who's thinking of, you know, once things open up again, uh, who's thinking of getting into a boxing class, whether for fitness or technical skill, uh, what's the one piece of advice you'd give them? I would just really say, you know, like as long as you have fun, you know, it's a fitness thing, have fun, making sure like you're also learning things too along the way that it's actually adding mm -hmm. more value. So you're, you're getting fit, you're getting sharper, but you're having fun. Also, you're learning some stuff. That's to me. That's why I do my coach. I try to be educational, but fun yet. It's a workout class too. You, you know, you can't stop and verbalize everything you're doing. But yeah, uh, yeah, it's making sure that they're having fun and getting something out of it back in return. We're actually they're learning something that's actually practical. Even could be a life skill out of that class. You know, who knows? Who it's knows? Yeah, and, and, and there's something inherently so stress relieving about boxing. Like when you punch something, <laughs> it's like a human biology thing. It just relieves no, it's stress. It's yes, yeah, it's a. It's, uh, really does kind of get the stress out of you. And that's what happens to a lot of, that's why a lot of people are, are that get involved in boxing have a really tough background is kind of helps them get through all that stuff, right? And work through all that stuff in a positive way, but they won't get hurt or they won't get a sort of like a hurt, but not get arrested. You know? Right. <laughs> so, yeah. And so the crazy, the craziest thing is, you know, there's a lot of people like myself who started in other martial arts and disciplines. Like I started with traditional martial arts, then I got to jujitsu, then Muay Thai, MMA. But then I ended up gravitating towards boxing a lot towards the end. Oh, there, really? I was like, Man, I'm having, it's the weirdest thing because people go the other way. They start boxing and then they add on the kicks and knees. But I went the other way. I'm like, man, I really enjoy boxing. Just maybe it's me. I have really fast reflexes as is. So I found good success using that tool. And I was like, I really want to do like a boxing only competition at some point just to test myself in there. Cause I'm having a lot of fun doing this. <laughs> That'd be cool. That'd be cool. You know, I'm sorry. The option's still open. Once the pandemic dies down, you know, <laughs> once I get back to training again and the martial well, the arts, I, 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 was, so. I was training Matt, Matt, uh, Matt Ross for the provincials before the pandemic was, yeah. uh, was happening. Like we had this plan together. They were talking about, yeah, no, like you come to me like, I want to, I want to go for one more for a tournament. But I, I want to go in boxing and uh, I want you to be my coach. I said, yeah, let's do it, man. And, uh, and I, you know, me being around different shows, I know what's out there, you know, yeah. for different age, age groups and so forth, because he'd be fighting as a master. So that's, that's beyond the age to can really compete as far as, you know, internationally and nationally, but they have their own organization within the organization called master. You can fight guys your age within your age five, six, seven years within your weight class. The, what's the age cutoff for masters? Like when you, when are you automatically in that category? Basically it's 35 and up. 
So it's 35. And I actually, I had a fighter myself who was old, who was uh, 67 years old when she had her, uh, she had about 60, I'm sorry, 64, 64. We tried again, 67. But again, uh, we couldn't find an opponent, but 64, she, she fought and she, that's uh, incredible. She won. It was a fantastic uh, a match. Well, that just goes to show you, and, and I bring this up because there's a lot of people who think, oh, you know, it's violent, you're going to get hurt. But if you do it safely and you do it correctly with the right coach and the co right staff, you can have a lot of fun and compete and still be safe. Like if she's doing it at 64, that's incredible. Absolutely. Yeah. And, no, your point is, is very so valid. Is Yeah, you're obviously aware that the this is a dangerous sport. But you're right. You have a, the right matchup of a, a really good good listener as a student who wants to get better. And you have a great coach. At, empathetic and understanding and try and teach them as much as you can and also look after them because i mean like being a coach is like being a dad it really is it's uh yes you know, yes. You know, you know more a lot for me i know more about a lot of the guys i trained when they're younger more than their parents know about them, you know <laughs> that's I completely not a problem. get that yeah <laughs> Um, I, now I really do before, you know, we run out of time, I want to get into the, some of the technical training talk, but before sure. we do that, I have to ask your opinion. Sure. What do you think of boxing in MMA? And I say this because, you know, there's a big MMA fight tonight. I'm going to be watching it and any athlete, any coach is always analyzing stuff. So I want to get your opinion. <laughs> what do you think of boxing in the MMA scape? And who do you think is a great boxer in MMA at this moment? Well, I'll be deadly honest with you because I, I do do some MMA uh, reporting to you on another show mm -hmm. uh, called MMA Countdown. Um, it's um for me it's just it's they're it, it, trying to be a hybrid you know and i understand that i get it but from a real solid striking point of view it needs a lot of work and okay. it applies to everybody uh, how could they improve it honestly it's to me it's just how they hold their hands like they, they seem to re they seem to want to be like most youtube boxers with the hands are way down here or right. they're out here too far away kind of thing um, I, I just don't find they really understand or really thought about it. That's what my gosh, really phrase that. How they, how they really thought about how you refine that in a, you know, to become a hybrid that's a really, truly a hybrid with a really solid hand. I don't think anyone's actually really thought about that. Uh, I think that's that's somewhere I agree that a, a lot of the coaching can improve because what I've noticed yeah. is, and if you look at the last like Conor McGregor fight when he got knocked up by Dustin Poirier, well, perfect example, he didn't hybridize his style like he he was been he's been training boxing you can tell the way he moves how he holds himself but he didn't change it for mma he didn't adapt it to mma no no didn't he didn't at all yeah i think too like you know like in mma world like they, they view him as being the, the, the pop the top guy as far as yeah. hands are concerned right in mma and for me like you know i'm being deadly honest like he's not um he's very lucky in my eyes to i hate to say this out loud but but I find him very lucky. He just he doesn't really train to the level of, of that of that caliber. And um, so I'm glad he lost where he lost at last fight because he's got to smarten up. I, yeah. I, I, I'm fully aware of, of his training. And, you know, you can't train like that and think you're going to be winning fights, you know. And it almost, you got a lot of people as fans, depending on you, you perform well. That's a, that's a role responsibility you have to take on. I'm sorry. You know, it's, you know it I'm almost really reminded me. It almost okay. reminded me. Uh, it almost reminded me of when um, Ronda Rousey got knocked out by Holly Holm. I don't know if you remember that. I do. I do. Like, it was incredible because Holly Holm has a boxing, like a high boxing pedigree. Yeah, yeah. And but that's the thing. Like you know, you got uh, you got a really high level boxer against uh, someone who's like he's all right, but you know, <laughs> the shit, the shot, the, the chance he has of actually defeating her is is very, very little. You know. It's like Claire Shields last night, she with her fight last night. Right. 
against the Canadian. Um, you know, I, I want to see the Canadian win, of course, but I knew, and I knowing Shields, and, and she's on Michigan State, I spent some time in Michigan State. That's a tough state in boxing, man. And uh, she's she's proven she in her weight class as a female fighter, amateur and, and professional. She's this dynamite. She's this. Uh, isn't she's she considering? One. Isn't she considering switching to MMA as well? I've she heard can do both, and, and that's the thing. Like it is, it's the thing about about being in MMA, or if you're boxing right now, if you're a female, you don't have much opportunities. So like she's she's being very smart about it. She's, I'm taking this opportunity as well earn some more money and build my name up as more and more and more build more of my brand to me it's smart it's brilliant what she's doing uh, but i feel really really uh, always felt really bad for female fighters on on mma and boxing because it's, it's it's a tough it, they have a really tough go i don't think people really appreciate or really understand how, how tough they have it absolutely the last question about the professional fighters before we get into the technical training stuff he's a controversial guy but arguably one of the best to ever do it floyd mayweather yeah. What are your thoughts on him? His style? Like, what, what do you make of him? Well, it's the thing, like, you know, and, and I'm glad you raised him because uh, to me, he's a great fighter. Is he great of all time? No, no. But he's a great, he's great of our time. Yes. He's mm -hmm. one of the best of our time, but not of all time. That, that's, that's not a fair assessment. Um, yeah. So to go back to Floyd, like, like my story about him, he's actually, to me, he's um, amazing, you know, role, as role team boxing, high, high level. But as a human being, you know, very, ah, very yes. low level. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I, will, I don't, don't, don't want to be like, you know, like he's like a father figure whatsoever. <laughs> right. No, that is but the other side boxing. of that coin, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but actually, yeah, I had a chance of meeting his, his dad, his uncle many years ago mm -hmm. and um, and over at St. Mary's in Grand Rapids. And um, no, very, very fascinating family. Uh, so, I mean, I mean, to me, like I'm very envious because he had he had a great uncle's a technician and he had a great strategist even though his dad was a little bit crazy at times yeah he was a great strategist you have those two in your corner in your ear and you yourself are very talented being taught by these two guys on and off again you know that's a really awesome combination and uh to me that pacquiao and mayweather fight kind of really exploited just how good mayweather really is mm -hmm. you know on the scale of the world and um so uh, yeah I'm, I'm, I'm a fan but as a human being, no. Yeah. <laughs> I, I completely understand that. Who, according to you, in your rankings, your personal rankings, is the best boxer of all time at this moment? At this moment only, yeah. As all time, it, to me, all time's Ali. Ali was this. Yeah. Was this he had it all. He was. Uh, he could rhyme the exact round. He'd stop you, you know, and drop you. And uh, I've never never seen anybody like that before. And then his style and his ability and his flair and uh, his charisma and his leadership yeah. and you know, just everything. He's just such a great leader and uh, one of a kind. You know, really, truly, because kind of the be 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 Beethoven of uh, of boxing for for that period, for that era. They only I, come once every so couple hundred years or so. Or I couldn't period. agree more. I mean, he was the prototype to the Floyd Mayweather's and the Conor McGregor's, but he also, as a person, was such a dynamite person. If we didn't know him as a boxer and we just knew him as a person, I think that alone speaks volumes to. He'd still be loved, you know. He'd still yeah. be loved. That's the thing. He's such a great, warm character, and, uh, and yeah, he's so tough. You know, it's just a really wonderful uh, combination as as a spiritual being in a human human experience. He just had he just had so much going on there that. Uh, I still like, I still put on videos of him yeah. um, in, in the ring, outside the ring, because I just found him just so fascinating, you know, never seen anything like that or probably never see it again.
Yeah, that mindset he had, that's the understanding of psychology is amazing. He employed that so well. I want to switch gears into the more technical stuff now because sure, sure. you know my three pillars, one is psychology, one is the fitness training, the physical training, and the other is nutrition. So when it comes to physical training and nutrition for boxers, right, guys who are competing, uh, what has been your experience uh, in that sector? Is this something that can improve? Is this something that's been dialed in already? Where are the pros and cons of how it is right now? As far as like nutrition and um, and training go for the box, like physical strength conditioning training for the boxers. Oh, like like um, comes to physical strength and conditioning. I mean, we mm -hmm. come a long ways. In fact, we're, we're more. We have you know we learned a lot about uh, we have a lot of research and so forth on, on this on this topic about how to train. So we I think as a world, it's, the information is actually out there now, mm -hmm. and is actually I think that to me like that's that's where we come a long ways. Um, but it's more on to me when it comes to. Um, I'm sorry, what's the point again? <laughs> I lost so, my train of thought. Yeah, where do you think, you know, the strength training and the nutrition, what kind of roles do they play in, in an, a boxer's world now? Is it really important? Is it not? Uh, could yeah. it improve? Yeah, so it comes like, say, strength conditioning uh, training has come a long ways. And, you know, we're there. We've been there for a while. Nutrition's actually come a long ways just recently. Um, I was part of, like, the, one of the high-performance committees for Ontario which uh, we're, we actually we had a national team training camp. And so we had to bring in nutritionists to talk about the subject matter and basically give the guys more information. And so we've done that the last few times in my, in my uh, experience with, with uh, national team, provincial teams. Uh, that's really good to hear because in combat sports, like you said, uh, in, in some disciplines specifically, like in boxing, I haven't seen the nutrition come up to modern times until recently. It's actually right. come a long ways. It's actually yeah. you see you see and hear a lot of the diets out there and, and, yeah. and uh, amateur and pro boxing. Like, you know, I look at the national team. Like some guys I was working with, like you know, I was pretty amazed. Some of them made some. Some I know some guys for a long time. Some of them, and the ones I know for a long time, I know they made some drastic changes um, to their their routine. They've gone to two of them. I know have gone to a plant based diet, which is it's also been proven it works, and um, it's way more efficient. Um, yeah, so we come a long ways in those categories, but I think trans conditioning to me has been always been pretty good. It's just uh, I think where we suffer as a country comes to the sport, uh, like why don't medal enough? Mm -hmm. um, I think they have to get more exposure, meaning they have to get more uh, international events going on out of this country. Uh, that's what they need work more work on as a technical development and being regularly uh, tested tournament wise or show wise around the world to improve yeah. mentally, but mentally. I think also that's really kind of the things I think we need more work on here in this country is um, more mental development, uh, a little more psychology based with with uh, coach to uh, to students. I think we see we should see more of that. I really think so. Um, nutrition's come a long ways. I think it's keep educating the folks, keep edu educating the athletes. Essential, 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 and keep that added into the uh, the programs they they did when I was there. Uh, we have for the high performance team for Ontario, French uh, provincial team as well maintain that because it's critical also like say mental health i just i think that yes. you gotta keep that keep that up because i'm not seeing enough being done in that category and that's a really vital actually that's number one category in my eyes is is the mental development Bring, make make uh, young folks more aware of their mind um because this stuff has to be addressed and we can't just push it away push it away and make, hopefully it's going to go away it's not the case it's here to stay so it's time to face up time to educate yourself or find someone who can help uh, help you because um, it's, it's reality. It's a reality. 
That's yeah, and, and I agree so much with that because uh, coming from that health and nutrition perspective, the strength training nutrition perspective, one of the things I've seen across all the combat sports, uh, some of the more common things is weight cutting, you know, guys cutting a lot of weight because psychologically they're thinking I need to have that advantage and not thinking more so about, okay, like how am I going to be with regards to skill? Like, do mm -hmm. I really need to be that much heavier than my opponent or can yeah. I rely on my skill set? And, and that's actually, again, you raised raise another good point. Um, psychologically, this is, this, this is the truth about that. Psychologically, when I hear a guy has to take a 15, 20 pound drop or 25 yeah. pound drop, that guy's really scared. That's yeah. just telling me right off the bat, psychologically speaking. Yeah. Number two, we know scientifically, research wise, you name it wise, we know that doesn't work, you know, especially yeah. long term. You might get away with that for a little while, but ultimately it's going to catch up with you, your body, then into your, you know, then your brain. It's been, it's, we, we know all that stuff. So why, why coaches, I, I'm, I still see that going on. Why coach still preach that, teach that? I, I this shows me the the ignorance that goes on out there. Because again, yeah. the information's out there. Just educate yourself. Because who suffers ultimately as a coach and you don't know the information? Your your student, your athlete's going to suffer yeah. the most. And uh, that you know, again, it's just, when you're being a coach, you got to be very responsible and accountable for a lot of stuff you do. That's why I was saying it was so refreshing uh, working with you because I've. I've my one of my guilty pleasures in my field is working with athletes. Obviously, anybody who's worked with athletes understands they have the drive. You don't have to push them as much. You just have to guide them the right way. So if the athlete comes with a drive and you're driven to get them the results results as well. Oh yeah, sky's the limit. Yeah. Sky's yeah, the limit. Good. And and who wouldn't love that? But I noticed that across combat sports, you know, that weight cutting, lack of proper nutrition knowledge going into sort of the training camp and throughout the training camp was pervasive, not just within the athletes, but also the coaches. So it ended up, like you said, it's an ignorant approach. They would just throw the broccoli and chicken at them, cut 15, 20 pounds. And over the long term, like you said, you'd see these athletes break down and not continuing the sport or have actual physical ailments yeah, because losing, of that. Yeah, you lose actually losing your years. You're actually yeah. losing time, losing years in your body when, you, when you're when you being treated like that. And actually, um, UFC actually has, um, has in the rules now, I've, I've heard from the inside is, they don't want big weight cuts because they yeah. know too. They they have they've seen the research, they've seen the numbers. This stuff doesn't work unless you know, unless you're, you're sort of some sort of type of superhuman being. Uh, most folks can catch up with you, and catch up with you, man. It's bad news. Absolutely, they have a, I think a requirement now that they do regular check-ins, and you have to be within a certain percentage of your fight weight. Yeah, that, that's fair. That, that's, to that's totally fair. You know, and again, it looks like you know it preserves our athlete. They're looking after the athlete because, again, that's a responsibility role as organizations look after your athlete physically. Don't put them, put them in those bad positions because we know that stuff's gone on. It's gone on in boxing for forever. You know, your fight gets canceled and, oh, by the way, you're going to fight so-and-so. And, you know, <laughs> uh, what, wait, what? Oh, okay. Yeah. okay. So, yeah. So it's it's good to see there's more proactivity going on on that subject matter because, yeah, that's also very, very important. Yeah. I want to ask you a little bit about boxing now uh, before we close out the show. Uh, you know, you've got the heavyweights in boxing nowadays. You've, you've got, yeah. you know, I think there's like top three there, the Tyson Furies, the uh, Wilders. The man. And, He's and, the man. Yeah, Anthony, uh, Joshua. What do you make of them right now? Because one of the things that I've seen from the outside, of course, uh, mm -hmm. and I'm not yeah. in their coaching circle, is at least in boxing, there seems to be a fair amount of ducking. Like people kind of duck each other and make strategic matchups more mm -hmm. so than I've seen in the other sports. Why do you think that happens, especially with these high-level athletes? Obviously, there's a lot of well, money on the line. Well, that's actually, well, the thing I, I do have, you know, I've been around a long time, and that's because of Floyd May Mayweather. Really? Floyd Mayweather actually was the man that made that happen. 
you know, mm. where you basically is a guy's coming up. It's like, okay, he's coming up. Let's make him wait a little longer. Okay, wait a little longer. Okay, a little longer now. So now we'll sign him. You know, so really Floyd Mayweather is actually the one to blame. <laughs> wow, that. I did not Quite know that. With you. Because now everybody in boxing does that. Everyone in boxing does that now. You know, like everyone's guilty of that. Um, they like to talk about, you know, talk, 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 you know. Yeah. Like, you want to take you on. But really in reality, those fights ever actually get done, those deals actually get done? No. No, we still got to wait quite a while for those fights to happen. So, yeah, so I blame Floyd Mayweather on that first point. There. Wow, thanks, Floyd. I never <laughs> knew that, but thanks, Floyd. I do want to ask you about two more athletes in boxing who I'm fascinated with. One is Canelo. What do you think of Canelo? I mean, I'll be honest with you. So, my dad loves him. Me, I don't get it. I, <laughs> I really don't get it because I watch him. I watch him. I watch fighters. This is my so this is another point that's going to raise with you about, you know, on your subject. Um, so in per fights, like amateur pro, this is a fact, numbers per round for, for high for punch ratio, like how many punches per, uh, a boxer throws per mm -hmm. round. That's come way down in the last 18 years. Really? Way down. 20 years, way further. People throw less punches. And so Canelo, I find, is part of that problem. He'll go huh. into a, a round and he starts throwing, you know, one right or one uppercut, one hook. So as a fight fan, does that excite you? No, of course doesn't not. Doesn't excite yeah. me. Doesn't excite me. But why do you think you that's know? happening? Why are they fighting in this style now? Again, it goes back to the Mayweather thing because Mayweather changed the game, not for the better. You know, I'm being okay. Fair. Be honest that's, on your show here. That's be, fair. Yeah. Be honest. <laughs> that's fair. Yeah. So I really blame him because Mayweather had the ability to, to do a lot of damage to a boxer because his background, his, his amateur background, was so phenomenal. Anyone who goes to the Olympic program. The way he's done, you know, that makes you really upper, that makes you world class pretty fast. You know, he went through the rank, plus he's got royalty dad, royalty uncle, yeah. you know, top of the world kind of thing in your ear, you know, supporting you, teaching you. Man, that, that's pretty amazing. So that makes you pretty much, you know, in the boxing world, you're, you're pretty much undefeatable, you know, on paper, on paper, mm -hmm. yeah. world defeatable. We all can be defeated at any time. That's his life. But on paper, that's pretty amazing. That's, so, you know, yeah, he had that going on. So that was pretty awesome. Thanks, Floyd, again. That's insane. Yeah, I mean, so I he, get he, what you're saying. He, he, he's, changed, he changed the game in the ring, but mostly he changed the game outside the ring as far as how his business is done. Mm -hmm. Getting matches made. Wait. Make the guy wait. A year, two, three, four. So that prime that when he was first, yeah. like, you know, like, let's go, let's go, let's go. Oh, it's a year now later. Oh, it's two years later. Oh, it's, no, it's three years later. You're a different person. Yeah, when you're in the boxing game. Well, you know? he did that to Pacquiao, right? Exactly. Yeah. And Pacquiao was exploited how not good, not good he was against a really sharp Mayweather because he's throwing at air. You watch that fight; he was throwing at air. He let he missed most of the shots. So to me, exploited um, Freddie Roach as a coach. Yeah. I, I, know, I always said like he's not again a guy. I think he's overrated. I really, really do. Really, Andrew Dundee. That's that's a great coach. You know, like there's just so many great coaches out there. Um, but I always thought, Roach, he's just, under, he's just overrated. Uh, I don't find him to be a, be a real thinking coach. And that fight, to me, exploited the difference between a thinking coach, Mayweather's just sharp corner, man, against really just, just go out there and just just be physically, you know, aggressive, be in right. his face. But what all he had to really do is miss like crazy and embarrass themselves. I heard people behind me 
watching the same fight, thinking uh, that he was, oh, because he's throwing shots. You know, he's right. winning. It's like, no, 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 no. He's got to land him cleanly. And that's that's a point, and that's whatever. That does cause, cause damage over accumulation. Um, but he is missing like, <laughs> like crazy. And I love Pacquiao. That's the thing. Like, I, love, right. I love Mayweather, and I love Pacquiao. So that fight was, for me, was very interesting to watch that fight. But exploited right. both of them. It was exploited really, truly, the honesty about the sharpness and the skill skill level, the intelligence, the strategy of the Mayweathers, and really just the sheer aggression that doesn't work against strategy at any any day of the week, you know, over here, you know. And that's where the coach responsibility to take on, you know, to really to be the, the strategist to come in and say, Hey, this is our game plan. Okay, that game doesn't work out, A plan doesn't work out. We got B plan, man. This is what we're doing. That, you know, that level mean, of strategy really comes in handy when you're in that. You really have to be, you know, yeah. like I can, I can say from experience, I dealt with back in the nineties with Barry, Barry Christie and a few other really high level boxers out of Canada. You really got to be sharp, you know, you strategically, you got to be sharp. And, but those things you got to work at in the gym, you know, mm-hmm. you got to work on fainting in the gym and you're sparring, you know, shadow boxing, those things really analyzing, you know, critiquing objectively, honestly, yourself. What is your doing and how can you get better? Okay. How does that look right now? I could do that a little better. I could do this a little bit differently. Well, but that looks really good. You know, mm-hmm. so you're just, you know, it's, you're always assessing, you know, all the time. And uh, the corner, same thing, always assessing your, your the, the opponent in front of your, in front of your, your boy, in front of your boxer. And, and on that note, I want to ask you about one last fighter. Uh, and I find him fascinating because I love his style just to watch it. It's so much fun. What do you think of Vasily Lomachenko? I love Lomachenko. Mm-hmm. I watched him as an amateur. Um, I used to do writing for a little post media group years ago when he went through the the Olympics in 2012. Yeah, and I, and I said, uh, "Watch out for this guy, man. Um, he's gonna he's gonna he's gonna, he's gonna win a gold medal. He's this he's that good. He's that good." And sure enough, like he's oh, <laughs> you know just amazing. And like even today, like um, he's kind of he's brought back for me. He's brought back a couple of things that were, were missing for decades from boxing, which was really cool footwork. Um, yes. We just have two movements there that people don't uh, maybe don't really appreciate or really know. Um, I call them. I call it one is called what goes to the right. I call that the reverse Cuban slide, mm-hmm. and you go until you're off to the lead side. I call that the Cuban slide. I remember um, you taught this to us. Yeah, um, I guess right. I'm pretty sure I did. I remember always. Kind I, of, I remember this. Of yeah, showing more advanced tricks. Hey guys, like just try this on. See what you think. Yeah, it's a real, it's a real movement, but just give it a shot. Um, it, it's going to help you eventually, but right now you probably won't get it, but just give it a go. Why not? Um, I love his footwork. Uh, just really, and plus I love his, I love, I love the guy's wraps his hands because he hired Russ Amber, who's a, a former Canadian coach for, for amateur boxing for Canada. Nice. He's used to, he's also gym in Montreal, uh, world famous coach. So Lomachenko hires him to, to wrap his hands before every fight around the world. And that's it. It's like, Wow. Greatest gig ever. And I love Russ Amper. I think he's a fantastic coach. Well, he's a fantastic coach. And uh, there he is. No, that's what he does. Like that's to me, that's so that's like the, the best job ever. <laughs> you know, to travel. Okay, great money. Sport, yeah. your hands, stay watch for the fight, you know. Amazing. Have dinner with him later on. You know, like just, wow. <laughs> yeah, you know what I really love about so Lomachenko? Uh, what I really love about it is when I looked into his training background, because I'm always looking into what got them here, what brought them to the dance. And I found that fascinating that he had a concentrated period of time in his life when he actually focused on dancing yeah. to understand movement. Yeah. That, that, that cross-training. 
it, it's almost yeah. like MMA, that cross training between different disciplines. And then yeah. you bring the things you learn from dancing and, and apply that to your boxing. Well, actually, that's what we use. We use a speed agility, agility ladders. Yeah. Because when you have like work on different, uh, when you kind of move away from the basic uh, patterns, you get to a little more advanced patterns. Like to me, it's like an Irish jig kind of sort yeah. of, but that has a rhythm of that. Mm-hmm. That's kind of simulates the same thing, the, the process of dancing rhythmically, creating your own rhythm. And then as time goes on, having that dynamics of having a fast rhythm and a slower rhythm, because that, that's ultimately how you, how you fight. Um, so watching him train, I find a lot of the stuff that he does when we watch his videos is gimmicky. Like he's with Mayweather, he did the same thing too. Like he did right. the fast hand pads, looking over here, you know. Right. That's, that's the gimmick stuff going on. He says, this is for you as a viewer, as a fan, to be entertained, which I totally get it. You know, I'd be doing the same thing too. But it comes to his footwork, I love it. And uh, what's funny is though, like, he, he does like a few things he does in the ring. I watched him over the years. I think like actually, I, I used to do that. Like I, that's why I teach. I teach that stuff too. I think, and I think that's pretty so, so cool. He's doing that because it wasn't like going back to like the 1920s with uh, Pep. Uh, Willie Pep is basically the guy. He's just, just great defense, fantastic defense, fantastic footwork. I haven't seen that kind of stuff since. Then it comes to the the reverse Cuban sliding Cuban movements, mm-hmm. wrap round jabs. You know, we do it kind of a few steps around the guy. Small I remember that. Yeah, you crossed up over on the back foot, and then you start wrapping yeah. around the jabs. Yeah, Tenko does the same very similar yeah. thing, but in the southpaw stance. You know, like again, you see slides to this reverse Cuban slide, and it goes around you. How do you defend that? You know, that that's just really strategic, highly skilled, all combined. You know, and ad- adapting, adjusting the moment as a fighter. You know, with the guy in front of you, how I'm going to move now next, and this has this very intuitive process. Uh, through accumulation, stopping you through accumulation. Because you can't right. stop you with one punch. He's not a, not a right. one-punch knockout guy. But through accumulation, yeah, he's he's a pretty dangerous guy. And you know, unfortunately, Lopez fight was not a good example, was not a yeah. uh, a fair um example of what he is. But I think to me, I think he took Lopez way too lightly mm-hmm. uh, going to that fight. He should should, you know, should take anybody for granted. And I think he did. And I think that's what's what would happen there. When I watched Lomachenko box the one thing that keeps coming back to me is it's beautiful boxing it makes me want yeah. to see more of it yeah and, and, and i think that's what you know the sport could use a little bit more of that because like you said you know people aren't punching as much anymore it's just not as exciting and especially when you consider the alternatives like mma or whatever other sport is out there you want to revitalize the sport and be part of that movement to bring it to the forefront again and and i hope that they do i i do want to ask you you know post pandemic when things start opening up again what is it you're looking forward to? I mean, how do you want to be a part of the boxing scene post-pandemic? Well, I can I can see myself probably involved with a gym or maybe a partnership f- with my own for my own gym. Mm-hmm. I can see that being a very likelihood. Where it'd be, I don't know yet. Yeah. Um, but I really want to see myself where I'm kind of back, where I'm at least uh, have guys competing internationally again. We're allowed to compete internationally again. I'm really I love that stuff. As me as a coach, that's my excitement. Is, is really planning for my athletes, you know, from six months, a year from now, a year and a half from now, where we're going to be, where I want you guys to be. Um, like I had an athlete a year ago, or when I basically told him a year and a half ago or so, maybe a little longer, where I told him, hey, you know, the Olympic trials is going to come up on this date. I want to do this, this, and this, get you a provincial title, move you on to the nationals. If we win it, great. If we don't, that's okay. We'll come back next year, provincials again, nationals again. I want to get you more more quality experience in between those fights. We're going to go after Team USA. Guys, guy in mind, we're going to fight, we're going to fight Buffalo against. 
you know, those, those plans you have lined up, right? And I miss that because that's my um, that's my like uh, adrenaline rush, and, and that's perfect for what I'm about to ask you. Right on. And before I end every show, I like to ask my guests the one question that kind of makes them think. So take your time. Obviously, boxing has been a part of the majority of your life as an athlete, as a coach, as many different things. Why do you still do it? Why are you still in boxing? Well, it's like it's like anything you do. It always starts with one thing first, passion. You got to love it first. Even like right now, you know, like because of the lockdown, I'm not doing a whole lot. So what, right. I did, what I'm doing, well, I made a big shift. I went to uh, I used to be a full-time coach. Now I've gone back to product management. But I've gone to TV, started hosting a boxing show and a music show. Mm-hmm. The boxing show for me is very special because I'm trying to tie in Canada. I'm really trying to tie in Canada, both amateur uh, boxing alumni from yesterday of today, professional of today and yesterday, promoters, sports commentators, bring them all together in one show. And basically kind of tell the world, hey, look at these folks who got around us that are part of Team Canada from 80s, 90s, today, you know, fantastic people. So I'm really just trying to do this really, um, I'm sorry, really trying to educate Canadians and around the world about how great our athletes are for Canada of today and yesterday. And also like our promoters and coaches and so forth, because they really get overlooked. And it's really sad because a lot of these guys I'm dealing with right now on my show, like they're about to fight got triple g two fights right. away you know or they sparred with uh roy jones jr right 25 30 years ago you know like this stuff you know like they they were at a training camp you know and ali was there you know there's all these things that kind of go on that people don't really understand appreciate how small the world box community really is i'm trying, trying to give can in the world a better understanding of how how, how great our king athletes are here that's I'm amazing. I love that you know you're not just uh, doing this because you want to stay in it, but you're also pushing the Canadian boxing scene. You're doing something for yeah. the sport. It's so underrated. Like people don't really real appreciate how how great it really is. It's so underrated. Uh, it's it's, it's uh, to be sure. It's sure with you really. It's because of um, in Canada, we always has this kind of inferior inferior complex where yeah yeah we look upon you know like you know Americans. Well, you know <laughs> uh, you know, but if you're Canadian and you're, and you're you're trying to climb, it's like well he's Canadian, so he's not can't be that very good. That's kind of what I, what I find. But if you're Canadian, you break it in the U.S. market. Well, it's like hey, he's from Canada. Hold mm-hmm. on, we told you so. He's going to be big. But meanwhile, when they're here, <laughs> they had no support. And that's what I feel. That's what I'm kind of going through myself. Is I'm trying to build something that's really special and unique um with, with with canada as part of that brand in my mind and canada athletes with through boxing is my, is my sport amateur and pro and just really tell the story and I, I do find it's really tough in this country to really get that message across but what's uh, funny though enough is is ireland oh, so i'm sorry uk and the us mm-hmm. have taken a lot of interest in the stories that we've been we've been kind of kind of posting and pursuing and talking about in the show they take a lot of interest in that, but but fellow Canadians are have not been, which I find that very, very interesting. Yeah, that's been my experience too. Whether it was in the military or in combat sports or what Is have you, right? I found yeah, I found that you know Can- Canadians aren't marketed as much. I'll say it that way. Yeah, people yeah. don't see us in the marketing aspect of it. But yeah. when we get to the scene, we are the better trained, the better quality across yeah. the board. So yeah, it's uh, funny, isn't it? I appreciate that you're pushing that. Now, I, I, the hour just passed just like that. <laughs> I know, I, I know. <laughs> we're definitely going to have to do this again. I, you know, I can't Love wait to, to. Love to pick on your experience and your uh, knowledge base uh, so much more. I really enjoyed this. Before you go, tell our listeners, where can they find you? 
Well, you can find me on Facebook, simply Noel Club. Um, I'm also on Instagram, Noel Club, I believe 83, uh, Noel Club 8379, I think the number is. I'm on there. I uh, also do the two shows, uh, which is Knockout TV show. I do that every Sunday at 4, and I do uh, Club Tracks, my music show, with Mark Duda from New York City. Uh, we do a show at 7 p.m. every Sunday. Are these, uh, like, online on Facebook? Yeah, so basically through uh, Spanish Sports World Network. Mm-hmm. Also, Zingo TV Channel 250, which is based out of the U.S., out of New Jersey, mm-hmm. called Zingo TV Channel 250. So we're on there as well. So it's just through uh, Roku, Roku Sticks, Fire Sticks, Amazon Fire, et cetera, et cetera. Um, also on their YouTube channel as well for Spanish Sports World Network. Yeah, and I can post stuff too as well on my Facebook and Instagram every now and then. Fantastic. Well, Akoshmal, thank you so much for joining us today. It was it was a treasure trove of experience that I was able to dive into and get some uh, information from, and have a great discussion with you about boxing. Yeah, I love it. I enjoyed it too. I enjoyed it too. Awesome. We'll have to do it again. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you, man. Anytime. Anytime. And that's the episode. Thank you guys for joining me. And without me having to say it if you've heard the episode all the way through you know this is one of the best episodes we've done so far what a treasure trove of information what an amazing guest and you know what an informative chat about so many different topics i cannot wait to have him back on the show but until then take care of yourself be kind to one another be safe i'll see you next time